Check, check. There we go. All right. It's Christmas Eve. We're all excited, right? All right. So this Advent, we have been doing a sermon series called The Mothers of Jesus with the hopes of catching a fresh glimpse of who Jesus is, of God's promised plan of salvation by tracing some of these incredible stories, some of these incredible women in the scripture. And I thought since we had kids here this morning, what better way to do than to start with a present. And so I thought this was just a great way of helping us to kind of picture this story and all that fits together. So some of you have probably seen one of these things before. But our story began all the way back in the book of Genesis. We looked at Eve's hope, that Eve had an incredible promise made to her, that our God is so amazing, our hope is so secure, that before God pronounced a curse upon humanity, he'd already pronounced the hope-filled promise of a skull-crushing Savior who would be born. And so we saw that first glimpse of God and his majesty revealed. And then we traveled a little bit further in the book of Genesis to the story of Sarah. God made an incredible promise to a man named Abraham that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And yet time went by, decades passed, and God's promise seemed to have not been fulfilled. And the angel of the Lord shows up and declares that by this time next year, Sarah will bear a child to which Sarah laughs. Revealed in Sarah's laughter is the reality and the skepticism and the cynicism that most of us have experienced in our walk of faith. That God's promises don't fit our timetables. That we struggle at times. And we saw the incredible profound truth that Sarah, despite her laughter, makes it into Hebrews Hall of Faith. And then we traveled again to the incredible story found in the book of Ruth. Ruth, I love the story of Ruth because it is so mundane. So much of the Old Testament is filled with signs and wonders and mountaintop moments, which are awe-inspiring and great, but I don't know about you, but that's not where most of my life has been lived. Most of my life looks a whole lot more like the book of Ruth, where God is working in his sovereign plans through the little seeming coincidences that happen that reveal he has been at work the entire time. And that is the source and reminder of our joy. Our joy is based on the fact that God is continually at work even when we cannot see it. And then finally today, we get to the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who we typically think of. And we're going to look at her story this morning through the eyes of faith. Mary's incredible faith that serves as an inspiration and reveals so much more to us. So we're going to travel through Luke's gospel quickly here this morning. We're going to begin in Luke 1, verses 26 and 27, where we set the stage. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Six months reminds us 
that God has already done something amazing. After over 400 years of silence, God shows up through an angel to deliver an incredible message to Zechariah that you are going to have a child in your old age. And Zechariah, in the great Sarah tradition, doubts. And his sign is that he will not speak until that child is born. But it's already been six months. And now the angel is sent to another young woman. But this time the message does not come where we would expect it to. Everybody would expect an angelic messenger to come into the temple next to the man lighting the incense next to the holy of holies. Yes, this is certainly where God would send a message. But to Nazareth? As Philip declared, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Nobody even knows where it is. Luke has to put a qualifier on here. It's in Galilee, in case you didn't know where it is. The symbol that God is going to do something amazing and something unseen. And there's a woman. Her name is Mary, and she's a virgin. Well, of course she is. That's how you're supposed to be when you're betrothed. And we remind ourselves the betrothal in the ancient world looks a little different than when a guy drops down and takes a knee. It was a process orchestrated by families and usually took about a year when you were legally married. It required a divorce to break, but you weren't married married like we typically think about it. You weren't living together. You weren't practicing all those benefits of husband and wife and doing life together. And so it's into this midst. And what do we notice? Luke gives us that little clue there. Twice it's mentioned that she's a virgin. And we recognize that's going to play an important role here in just a minute. And if we were the original audience, our ears would have perked up when we heard something else. Joseph, he's from the line of David. Oh, wait, that's important. That means God is doing something, perhaps All these great promises throughout the centuries, throughout millennia, are finally coming together. And so then we get to the heart of our passage. And the first thing we're going to see about this lens of faith this morning that reveals Mary to us is that Mary's faith flows from God's favor. Faith flows from God's favor. And we see this in verses 28 to 30. And the angel, and he said to her, and he said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, when it comes to talking about Mary, sometimes Protestants aren't quite sure what to do with her because on the one hand, her faith is downright amazing, right? Most of us would love to have the faith that Mary has. But on the flip side, we also recognize there are those within Christendom who have raised Mary kind of up on this pedestal and given her these things that don't really fit there. And so it's kind of like this this awkward tension. And so what I hope to do this morning is just to allow the text to speak. And what we find is that Mary's incredible faith is all based upon the favor of God. It's all flowing from what God is doing, just as does our faith. And we see this. What is the greeting? Oh, greetings, oh, favored one. Now, here's the incredible thing. That word favored only occurs one other place in the New Testament. Ephesians 1.6 that talks about the blessing we have received being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. This is a word that talks about incredible favor. It is amazing to be chosen by God, 
But remember, you weren't chosen because you're special. You weren't chosen because it has anything to do with you apart from the plans and the purposes of God. And we see this, what? Mary's reaction. She is, what? Greatly troubled. And here's the fascinating thing. There are all kinds of people who are greatly troubled in the Christmas story, right? People are constantly being told not to be afraid because God is doing something new, amazing, and it is downright terrifying when you think about how much it's going to upend people's lives, right? Zechariah is greatly troubled, but the word here that Mary has is word one level higher. She is more terrified than Zechariah. She is more terrified than Herod was at this proclamation. Why? Well, it seems to be because her faith is that much greater. We recognize what? The closer we get to Christ, the more truly and accurately what? We see ourselves. The more we are drawn in holiness and sanctification, the more we realize how far we still have to go. And so Mary here, we find this faith that's flowing not because she is great, but because her God is great. And so she tries to discern. She's trying to figure out what this greeting means. How am I exalted? How am I favored? What is going on? And the angel responds, do not fear. You have literally what? You have been graced. That's the root of that second word favor. You have received grace from God. God is doing something amazing and profound. So do not be afraid. We're reminded what? Mary is a recipient of God's grace. She is not a bestower of grace. And we see this revealed in Luke 11. That there are these women, and they pronounce this blessing upon Jesus. They declare, blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast that nursed you, right? It's designed to be an incredible blessing. And Jesus says, yes, rather blessed are those who hear the word of God and believe. Yes, Mary is blessed. She was, but rather the greatest blessing is to hear the word of God. It is to come and to trust in me. And we notice one other interesting thing when we put the Christ stories, the nativity stories all alongside one another. There's a lot of people who get introduced. Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we're told what? They are blameless. They are righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Even Joseph, we are told, is a righteous man. What do we learn about Mary? She's the only one in the nativity birth stories that doesn't get a qualifier. She's just Mary. Right? It's almost as if Luke wants to make sure that we capture this is all about God's favor. It is all about his grace. It is the recognition that he is the one who is doing something profound and amazing. And we recognize what that great incredible truth that our faith flows from God's favor as well. Because there are those hard moments in life And I recognize we've got people in this room this morning, people who are connected to our church and friends of friends around us who this Christmas season is incredibly hard. That we have people whose faith has been shaken by the things that they are facing. And I look back at my own life, and there was about a decade where Christmas didn't feel like Christmas because we suffered miscarriage after miscarriage and loss after loss, and we were trying to figure out what God was doing in the midst of that. And there are those moments, perhaps, you've had 
where you recognize that your faith isn't holding the way it used to. And it's in those moments we rejoice at what? That God is the one who is holding our faith. That if my faith is dependent upon me, it can fail. And there have been moments in my life where if it depended on me, it would have failed. But God, in his grace and his amazing plans, holds us through. And we see this incredible revelation throughout Mary's story. That faith flows from God's favor. And then as we come to this next part, the angel's word, we see that faith finds promise in the midst of the mystery. That there is this promise and it's surrounded and shrouded in mystery. And what is required to cling to it? Faith. Faith is what sees us through the mystery and enables us to cling to the promise. And so the angel gives us this incredible promise, these five things about the Christ child. And we see these in 31 to 33. Angel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Incredible, incredible promises. And they begin with what? The revelation. His name is to be Jesus. The greatest revelation you need to know about him is his name. He is the one who is the Savior. And as this Savior is revealed through all these continuing declarations, our mouth just drops further and further open in awe at who God has sent to save us. He will be great, right? We're reminded that John the Baptist was told what? He would be great in the eyes of the Lord. Now that's powerful. Who doesn't want to be great in the eyes of the Lord? But here, this is a child who will be great. No qualifier necessary. Great in an absolute sense. And when we look at the Old Testament, almost every usage of great without a qualifier refers to who? God Almighty, because he alone is great. He alone is the one who stands above all. He will be called, what? Son of the Most High. God is the one who serves over the council of angels. He is the Lord Almighty. Everybody else pales in comparison. I love Luke 8. The demons come before Jesus and they're like, Son of the Most High, do not torment us. Right? Everybody else is terrified at the demonic forces and their power, but they see the Most High and they are in turn terrified, knowing that their end has already been sealed. That is who this child is. He will sit on David's throne. Oh, if we had a couple hours, we could unpack 2 Samuel 7 this morning and the fourfold description and promise of who this one will be who will sit on the throne of David forever. This is the promised one who will come. We could flip over to Matthew chapter 2 and sing We Three Kings and be reminded that who is the king makers come to worship? These magi from the east, they come to recognize and worship this one who is to be seen as the king not only of the Jews, but the king of all humanity. This is the king who will be above all kings. And then the last incredible declaration from Micah 4-7. This is the king who will sit on a throne forever. His kingdom will never end. 
right? We're reminded when we read history, biblical history, Roman history, history from around the world, what is the succession of kings? It is full and filled with drama, right? And assassinations and coups and all kinds of other crazy things, because that is the nature of things. But here is one who will rule righteously forever. No one will be able to take his throne from him. This is an incredible, amazing, profound promise. And we can only imagine how Mary is feeling. All of these things heaped upon heap. This is who the child you are to bear is. And I love Mary's response. She's only got one question. I don't know about you, but if I was Mary, I think I'd have at least a few dozen questions. Right? I don't know. Like, you know, I mean, maybe in the moment I wouldn't have the gall, you know, probably wouldn't have the gall, but like, right, there's a whole lot more I would want to know. And Mary simply asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? Not can this be, but how? I trust you've got this, but this doesn't work. Like, this, this defies nature. This defies everything. Like, how will this be. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And I would want to say in that moment, thanks. Totally clears that up. I, I mean, like, you know, like they, they, we, we get so wrapped up in the Christmas story and our theology and living, you know, and, you know, after all, you know, theolog- theological tome after tome have been written to try and explain these things. And we still ultimately appeal to how did it work? Mystery. Right. But like we at least pretend like we have some understanding. And, and it just makes me think of that line in Princess Bride, if you have any fans who are out there, there there's that moment where these things keep happening. And it's just it's inconceivable. Right. <laughs> It's inconceivable. I don't think that word means what you think it means. And and I kind of want to say that to the angel here. It's like, I don't think your explanation is doing what you think it's going to do here. Right? There's just that moment. Like, I don't think you're explaining this the way you think you're explaining this. And there's this rich history inside of this. When we look at that word overshadow, it's the word used to translate the Old Testament Shekinah glory, the visible presence of God that would be seen and experienced in the tabernacle and in the temple. It is a profound and powerful imagery. God's going to show up and he's going to do it. That's what you need to know is God's going to make it happen. And I love that God, the next thing he does is he gives Mary this grace that we so often miss. Before Mary responds, what is God going to do? He's going to give her a sign in verses 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has already conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Who's going to believe this probably 13 or so old girl that she just, yeah, I got pregnant by God. That's going to be a tough sell. Yeah, an angel told me it would happen. Who's going to believe her? Well, perhaps the woman who's way too old to have a child, whose husband was struck 
unable to speak because he doubted the angel. That's the type of person who's going to believe. What an incredible promise. And what do we notice? It's after Mary visits Elizabeth. It's after that proclamation and that joyous everything that happens. That What does Mary utter? The Magnificat. It's after that confirmation of the sign that her praise rings forth. She sees that it is in fact true as it has been promised to her. There is this sign. But we can't help but miss that illusion going back to Sarah's laughter, can we? Right? For nothing is impossible with God. That's what God told Abraham and Sarah. Nothing is impossible with God. And God did it back then. And guess what? God did it again. Now, there's impossible and then there's impossible. Right? Because, there, you know, that was, that's at least the way my mind works. It's like, there's, there's, there's impossible, yes, to take two old people and use them to create a child. But, like, at least at some point in time, they both had everything that was naturally necessary to actually make it happen. Right? But, like, Mary, like, it, half of it's missing. Like, there, there, I mean, just like, there's, there's those moments, like, in your mind, like, we want deeper understanding. We want to understand this. For nothing is impossible with God. And that is the incredible truth, right? That's how faith clings to the promise despite the mystery. Because I would guess if we asked for a show of hands, most people in this room would say they have witnessed something in their life that they thought was impossible and God did it anyway. Now, I have to make a confession that in my life I am much more like Sarah than I am like Mary. Because there was a point in my life when I was in college and I had a plan for my life and finally figured it out. It took far longer than, you know, everybody else thought it should. But I had a plan. And I was going to become a sports psychologist and I had it all laid out. But other people in my life kept telling me I should become a pastor. And I would literally laugh at them sometimes. Now, to put this in perspective, part of the reason I would laugh at them is because you have to know a little bit about my history. Now, I've shared this with some of our youth here before, but my nickname in high school was Morticious Mull because I was very deadly on the football field, but also because I was so quiet, people thought I would be great to work in a mortuary. You're so quiet, you should work with dead people. Like, I literally almost failed because of lack of course participation to pass oral composition at West Aurora High School. There was absolutely no way I would ever get up in front of people and talk. Like, you could not make me do that. And yet God has a way of being able to do what we think is impossible, right? That even when we laugh at God, the grace and the amazement of his plans and his purposes are profound and amazing. And so as we gather here this morning, we recognize that God did the unimaginable. Who could imagine a God that would give up heaven to be born as a helpless infant and laid of all places in an animal's feeding trough? Any other religion would laugh at you. But yet this is what our God has done. Who could conceive of a God who would give up not only the throne of heaven, but a God who would go to a cross to suffer and die for people who don't deserve it? For people who didn't even want it? Absolutely inconceivable. 
But yet, with God, things are possible. And that our faith is what holds us in those moments of mystery where we do not understand recognizing that those promises extend not only in this life, but beyond this life. Because sometimes we get to look back and we can see how God has used our pain. But I've lived long enough to tell you, you don't always get to see that. But the promise is on the other side of the grave, the mystery will be revealed. And God will be there to greet us. One more glimpse of Mary's faith in verse 38. And here we want to see that faith follows despite the sacrifices. Faith follows despite the sacrifices. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now we have to stop and think for just a moment here. Put ourselves in Mary's shoes. This is a big ask, right? We think about all that she is giving up, all that she is being asked to sacrifice. She's got to wonder, is Joseph going to leave me? Am I going to have to do this on my own? And you know what? If she had those thoughts, she was right to have them because Joseph absolutely intended to do that. Now, did God take care of it? Yep. But that fear of abandonment, the reality that according to Deuteronomy, she could be stoned. Now, certainly God's going to take care of me, but the fear and the challenge. We recognize those glimpses referencing the illegitimacy of Jesus that still flow in parts of the Gospels. If you can find these glimpses in the Gospels, you can only imagine what was being said in Nazareth. You can only imagine what was being said in the alleys and around the well. Everything she had to endure and the cloud that hung over her entire life. Now, she probably didn't have a wedding book the way some of our junior high girls have with a dress and everything else all planned out because that's not the way it worked in the ancient world. But I would guess she probably had some plans and some dreams and some thoughts about the way it should go. And I'm pretty sure it probably didn't go that way, right? We can only imagine all the things that were there. And yet, what is her response? Despite recognizing the sacrifices she could see, Now, there were all kinds of sacrifices she couldn't see, right? There's all the things that are going to be continually revealed, even when she goes and dedicates Jesus at the temple, and Simeon pronounces this dual-edged blessing upon her. Like, it's still just one glimpse at a time. But yet, what is her response? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Literally, let me be your bond slave. Let it be. I will submit. I will trust you. In faith, I'm willing to sacrifice what I have, trusting that your way is good. I love some of the medieval art that pictures the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary through her ear, right? That is, it's, it's the message that she believes. It's, it's the, the truth of, of the receiving of this incredible word, this incredible picture of what Mary has done. And we see her living this out, right? The story where Jesus works his first miracle. We're out of wine. Hey, guess what? Take my son and just do whatever he says to do. And and this is one of those moments, like, I I look forward to the new heavens and the new earth and all eternity. And it's like, I can take Mary out for like 
a cup of Mountain Dew or hot chocolate or whatever it is, you know, like, I don't know, you know, like, but like, just like, I'm like, okay, it sounds like there's another story there. Like, just whatever he says to do, just do it. Like, don't argue, don't just like, just trust him. He's got this. Like, it, it may sound weird, you know, like, what else has she seen? Like, all those things we just, like, wonder. There's like, there's got to be some stories, Mary. Like, I want to hear them, right? But there's this incredible and profound faith that she still exhibits here even before Jesus starts his public ministry. And so we find this incredibly inspiring glimpses and revelation of faith in Mary's story, right? That it flows from God's favor, that it believes the promise despite the mystery, that it's willing to sacrifice. Now, we could walk away today and just be inspired, but all of this points one step further because we're reminded that Mary and her faith isn't just about herself. It's about the one who would come to be the author and perfecter of our faith, right? We're reminded that it is not our faith that saves us. It is the object of our faith that saves us. It is who this Christ child is and all that he has done that saves us. That he is the one who in perfect faith and obedience was willing to step out of the heavens knowing everything he would be giving up to unite himself to humanity. We, in our best theologians, still struggle to even articulate it, and yet he would know it and he did it anyway. That he is the one who in the temptation passed where Adam and Eve failed, where everybody else had failed before, wanting what they wanted more than what God had. That moment in the garden where Jesus prays, not my will, but your will be done. The moment from the cross where Jesus declares, it is finished in perfect faith. The moment in perfect faith where Jesus declares, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Today we are inspired by the faith of Mary, but we rejoice over the Christ child, the object of our faith, the one who gave everything for us, as Hebrew refers to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Let's pray together.